beauty of that song. Absolutely. One quick thing, too. I've noticed that there are some bags here that people have already filled for Honduras Christmas bags. There are a few more. If you want to make it a family project, just come on by and fill those bags up. Uh, Jennifer Calhoun from Brookhaven is going to fly them down and go with those bags and present them to kids and uh, children of Honduras. So just want to remind you that we're doing that as well. Will you pray with me? God, we are so hungry for good news. And whether or not I say it right, help us to hear it right. Remind us, oh God, of the gospel. Through scripture, sermon, this hour. In your name we pray. Amen. So we finish our series today on grace, but I hope it sticks to you for a long, long time. Uh, Grace is the very foundation of who we are. It is our, our theological foundation, and it is what every other belief springs from. You'll recall that the first Sunday we talked about provenient grace. That is, grace that comes before. That before our even knowing it, God is pursuing us. Love is coming toward us. And every time we baptize an infant, that's exactly what we're celebrating. And that's why we do that. And we even celebrate an open table. All, all who respond to the invitation are welcome at the open table because... We know that that might be the way, the entry point for someone to know that they are loved by God. Last week, we talked about justifying grace. It's it's when you you start to realize that this God is not against us, but God is for us. And God's pardoning grace, God's compassion. Um, And I don't know how you might have experienced that, but that's you've experienced justifying grace A grace that realigns our lives. Not just forgiving us, but that would be an awesome gift. But to line it back up so that we can stand up straight in the faith and begin our journey. And that's exactly what week three is all about. Today, it's about now what? You've been forgiven. God loves you. So, what now is is what we're talking about today. And so... What does that even look like? You know, grace is not done when we say yes to God. That's when it begins. We don't think about grace in the past tense. We think about it now and in the future. Grace just keeps coming at us. And now it comes through us. So if one way to think about it is is if provenient grace is grace before you, justifying grace is grace for us. Sanctifying grace is grace running through us. God's love running through us. we got a couple of weddings coming up in the next few months right here at St. Luke's. You all know that weddings can be beautiful, joyous, and expensive, right? Stressful, but they're powerful. I love doing weddings. I love baptizing infants because weddings and infants are a sign that God has not given up on us. And that's good, good news. That there's still work to do in this world. They give us hope. Do you know as well as I do, those of you who are married, it doesn't, that, that, that wedding is one thing and the marriage is another, right? That's when the work begins. 
I thought about that, thinking about, I don't think much about my wedding day, but sometimes I do. March 15th, 1997. Jen, see, there you go. Um, I think about the people who were there, right? The people who were there that may not be around anymore, that, that drove all the way up to Durham to be at our wedding, to remind us that we were loved. Most of the time, though, I'm not thinking about my wedding. I'm thinking about my marriage, right? What now? We got to move, Jen. What do we do now? How do you drop a kid off kindergarten or first grade? How do we learn that? Uh-oh, we've got teenagers. What now, right? Oh, my goodness. I didn't think I could cry this hard dropping my kid off at college. What now? And in our marriage... Like every life, um, life transition is, is, is having to relearn and, and to build and to get better at things and to improve and to grow. I don't think that as you get older, things get easier, but hopefully as you get older, you grow and you're able to handle things. Now, John Wesley would call that just, I mean, he would call that sanctifying grace. It's just the, the ability to grow because grace is so powerful that grace can change us and can make us stronger through church and small groups and worship, fellowship. We help each other. We hold each other accountable. The what now of life, that's sanctifying grace. That's sanctifying grace. Pam read out of Romans, which is awesome. We hear that a lot when we break bread. Lord, make us a living sacrifice. So it's, it's we offer ourselves to God day after day. And we're not of this world, but we are in it. And so we must. We must grow. A lot of Paul's letters could, could vouch for sanctifying grace. I almost chose... Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul's bragging about how good he was. He went to the Harvard school for, you know, Pharisees and, and had a 4.5 average, you know. He was in the tribe of Benjamin. And he did this and he did that. And then he said, and then I just count all of that as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And then Paul goes, and I press on for the high and heavenward call to serve Christ Brothers and sisters, haven't attained it yet, but I lay hold for what Jesus has laid hold of me. That is sanctifying grace. Paul didn't keep dwelling on getting knocked off his donkey, right? And, 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 and getting healed. That was part of his story, but it was only the beginning. He decided, I'm going to travel all over the place and I'm going, to, I'm going to build communities of love, little enclaves, little colonies to show the world through Christ's church that there is hope and that there is love and that God's grace can work and it does. Philippians' letter is a little different than Romans in that in Philippians it's joyful. It is exuberant. And it is positive. And guess where Paul dictated the letter? From jail. With his feet in stocks. Unfairly persecuted by those he used to be friends with. Who could not understand why he fell in love with Jesus Christ. 
and he dictated this. Perhaps it was through bars and the sunlight coming in and uh, Tertius or someone else there was to write it down, writing it down fast. But Paul's letter is joyful because Paul keeps pressing on. You can't put hope and peace behind bars. Because there's something more powerful going on inside Paul that is going on around Paul. And that, brothers and sisters, is sanctifying grace. John Wesley was not a systematic theologian. He didn't write about trying to, all these tomes, these mighty tomes. He was a preacher. And Ricky will tell you, and so will Grady, when you're a preacher, you got to be paying attention to everything. Because everything is a possible story, right? Everything is a sermon. Be careful, you might end up in my sermon. No, I'll probably ask you before I do, probably. But anyway, John Wesley noticed that sometimes God's amazing grace can get inside somebody to where they can be changed. People do change. And he believed in Christian perfection, moving onward to Christian perfection. That word got him in a lot of trouble. Those double-barrel Calvinists didn't like it a whole lot. No, John, people are rotten to the core. And you know, every now and then, I kind of side with those Calvinists, right? Uh, You know, when I look at TV, I'm thinking, wow, people can be pretty doggone awful to each other. See, Paul held a very high Christology. He, He held Christ, and he felt like the love and grace of Jesus Christ was enough to change the world But he had a more optimistic view of people than many of his religious friends. Now, he knew we were all sinners. He knew we would all make mistakes. He knew that. But he also knew we were kind of like a a bombed-out castle. There was something beautiful in every life. That no matter how torn-up building may be of a person's soul, that Jesus' grace was enough to rebuild it. And so he held on to this light, and he called it sanctifying grace. And he felt like once you experience the grace of Jesus Christ, that it was expected. He set a high bar. You're going to be learning, and you're going to be growing. And he held all these groups in England and other, part, other countries as well um, to like a high bar. Because he felt like grace was enough to get you through it and to rebuild the bombed out shelter He thought that we could be perfect in this life because of two little ladies, old ladies in his community where he was. They just gave their lives away to the community. And he said, you know, just for a moment, he said, you know, it looks like they just about got it attained. Now, we get hung up on the word perfection, right? Perfection is a kind of a bad word now, but 300 years ago, it meant maturity. It meant growing up. It meant that people were eager to grow up and and to get stronger. Here's John Wesley's definition of perfection. And it had nothing to do with necessarily living a sinless life. It had to do with this. Perfection, for John Wesley, was having God's love filled in your heart so much that there's not room for anything else. And he believed You may or may not be able to attain perfection. But in your walk and by the power of sanctifying grace, you could be a little bit, look a little bit more like Jesus tomorrow than you look like today. And next week, 
God might chip away a little bit more. And you might look a little bit more like Jesus then. And in five years and ten years, so on and so forth. I forget who said it. I think it was one of our nation's founders who said, Comparison is the thief of joy. Don't ever compare your life with anybody else's. But I've also heard someone say this in a more modern context. That the only person you need to be comparing yourself to is the person you were yesterday. How is God changing you? How is God pouring love and mercy and compassion in your heart just a little bit more tomorrow than today? John Wesley thought that that was our direction. I'm not there yet. I mean, that's obvious. You may not be there yet too. But each day we can become a little more like Christ. That is our that is our sanctifying journey. It's towards maturity. It's toward perfection. And each day we take a step in that direction. I grew up loving two things. Golf and Mississippi State University. I knew the state fight song before I knew the Lord's Prayer. Okay? I remember going to games right here in Jackson. And, uh, and I also thought, well, this is going to be a, a breeze. I'm going. And I, I passed on the tradition. And I gave Tripp a cowbell when he was five years old. And wouldn't you know, he went to Ole Miss. I don't know how that happened. No, uh-uh, no applause, Willie. This is not the time or the place. I did all I could to make him a bulldog. He goes Ole Miss. Still love him. It was, it, it was a good path. He had a great time. It was good. I also thought it was going to be real easy to teach him to play golf. And wouldn't you know it, he fell in love with tennis. He didn't, he didn't care a whole lot about golf. And then I thought, if I'm going to spend time with my son... I better switch my sports and start playing tennis. Now, also, Tripp is a coach. So I figured he owed me a lot of free lessons. Because my backhand was terrible. Terrible. And he'd drop your racket, grip it like this, Dad. Your feet are wrong. And you know what? After a while, I got better at tennis. Why? Because I hung out with somebody who's good at teaching it, and who cared. Kind of like church. I wish I could tell you that sanctifying grace was you could go huddle up once a month on top of a mountain somewhere and see a guru and do it all yourself, but you can't. This is not a do-it DIY project. You see, sanctifying grace works when you're rubbing elbows with people who are good at it and who care. And St. Luke's is full of people who are good at it and who care. Choir, small groups, Sunday school teachers. I mean, all of life is us offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God and me going, how did you do that, Hunter? Show me. How do you go to Honduras? How do you, how do you make somebody feel welcome, Tony? How do you sing, Helen? How do you do it? And we can't do everything all the time. But you can grow. 
where God has called you to grow. And when you do, that is sanctifying grace. I think to myself, you know, and I've spent a lot of time the last five years trying to learn tennis. What if I spent as much time and as much effort on being a follower of Jesus as I did on my backhand? What if I spent as much time and as much effort following Jesus as I did scrolling on social media? How different would my life be and how much of an impact would I put on other people if I took it just a little more seriously and realized that going onward to perfection is not something I should ever take lightly because God's grace is always summoning me to dance, to go with this flow of the Holy Spirit. Because like some youth leader said, even a dead fish can float downstream, but you need some help to swim against it. Paul knows. And there's this yearning in Paul's life. He said, not, not that I've attained it, but, but I press on toward the goal in Christ Jesus. Even the very desire to change our lives, to overcome something, is a grace from, from, from God. Man, Luke, I'm going to have to share what you said in Sunday school class, and I hope it doesn't embarrass you. Is that okay? Give me a thumbs up if it's all right. Okay, gave me a thumbs up. Hey, what have you been good at? We've had a couple of people that are real good at cooking, you know. What have you gotten good at that you had to work for that wasn't easy to get? And Luke raised his hand and said, I've gotten good at being sober. I said, man, that's awesome. I can tell you that's awesome. And I can see it in his eyes and in his face that he's, he's healing and he's getting healthy. And I promised Luke we'd help him like we'd help each other. Because we're all recovering at something, are we not? We're all recovering sinners. I want to know Christ, says Paul, to share in his sufferings. I press on to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold of me. Whatever is yet to become isn't fully known, but I press on. Sacrificial, selfless love is there for the taking one day at a time. How different do you plan to be next week than you are right now? And how are you going to get there? Paul wanted to reflect on only uh, this love, and he wanted that for the church in Philippi and for his church in Romans, in Rome. Sanctifying grace is the Holy Spirit saying, Get back up. I'm not through with you yet. We're going to turn you into evidence that points to the good news. That's what the Holy Spirit is good at. I'm going to turn you into evidence of the good news of the gospel, and I'm going to use you to bring others. I'm going to let my spirit flow through you to others. Your change from glory into glory, grace upon grace, will feed another person. You work on your backhand and someone else will see that what you've done in your life, whatever your backhand is spiritually. And maybe it'll, it'll help somebody else work on theirs. John Wesley quickly had two pursuits. Just think about this. It's really simple. Personal piety and social holiness. He said they have to go together. Can't have one without the other. It's like how we walk. We've got two legs. We step one. We step the other, right? Or it's like lungs. You breathe in. You can't breathe. You breathe out. You can't just breathe in all the time. And you can't just breathe out all the time. A lot of people aren't real cool with personal piety. They're like, Bruce, I want to do good in the world, but I don't need to pray or sing hymns. I don't need anything. Let me just do good in the world. And that is the biggest recipe for burnout. Growing outward without growing inward. 
Growing your branches without growing your roots creates a very shallow kind of situation. So, John Wesley would say that personal piety would be small groups, Sunday school. By the way, Beverly made an awesome Sunday school pamphlet. It's got all five or six of our Sunday schools. You can just look at it and uh, maybe you want to join a Sunday school, but that's a great way. The sacraments, worship, prayer, solitude. Those are inward things. And then there's the outward. Some people say, Bruce, I just want to pray and sing hymns, but I don't want that outward stuff. That's called atrophy, spiritual atrophy. If you want to get stronger, help somebody else get stronger. If you want your faith to wake up, speak out for justice or for love for somebody else. Even if it costs you a little bit, that's how you get stronger. Personal piety, social holiness. John Wesley said there is no personal holiness without social holiness and no social holiness without personal holiness. Faith, says James, without works is dead. I'm not talking about Ricky James, but I know he said that too several times in this place. You can't have one without the other. Faith without works is dead. Work without, fa- work without faith will wear you out. Sanctifying grace is both and. It's a fusion of personal piety and social holiness. Can't happen without the other. Sanctifying grace latches our lives onto something greater than we are, greater than we could possibly be as individuals or even as a church. That's why St. Luke's is both outward focused and inward focused. You need to breathe both ways. That's how the lungs work. That's how the church works. You look at the world today, and it does really make you wonder, why do we bother? We see people who do the most vile things on the TV set or on social media. And it turns, it's just, it's crazy. You want to look away. And I've wondered the last week or two, is there any hope? But I see you putting one foot in front of the other. I see you suffering with all kinds of challenges. Saints right here in this church. And it reminds me that there is hope because there is grace. Amazing grace. I read Paul's letter and go, wow. He's writing all this behind bars. An innocent man who gave his life away that others might know the joy he has found. You can't look, you can't find that kind of joy. You can't lock it up. God is counting on St. Luke's United Methodist Church to be a holy, grace-filled place where people can walk in this sanctuary, in this fellowship hall, to see hope and grace. You are God's sign language in how you walk and what you do and how you grow. There's so much at stake whether or not we're growing into a deeper faith together and more love filled together. We have a powerful gift to share this world. Last night, I don't know, I don't ever stay up to watch um, Saturday Night Live anymore. Does anybody watch it anymore? Okay. Did you see the opening? Did you see that young comedian who with tears in her eyes talked about children dying in the Holy Land? And he talked about it. He said, the reason I think I can talk about it 
It's because I lost my father to terrorism when I was eight years old. His dad was a fire, fireman in New York. And he said the most beautiful thing. Finally, at the end, it was really short. You can look it up after church. And it's worth it. I want you to. He said, some people think that it might be strange that we would be trying to be funny on a night like this after the week we've seen. But he said, I believe it's hard to understand that sometimes helping people laugh can be an amazing healing for people. And that's what I do. And that's what I'm going to try tonight. Live. It's Saturday Night Live or Saturday Night, however they say it. What can you do in this world that can give people hope again? What do you need to be work on to be a different kind of person next week than you are today? I say do it. Jump in sanctifying grace. And may that grace, prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying, saturate our lives and be our foundation from beginning to end and beyond. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite us now to stand and sing our